Welcome to Real Decarbonization, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the CEO of Adamantine Energy. This series of mini pods accompanies my latest book, Real Decarbonization. And on today's show, I interview someone that you may remember from the book, Dan Harple. He's founder and CEO of Context Labs. In today's show, he talks a little bit about his experience, but he has a really interesting background. He has a Master of Science from MIT, a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering and psychology from the University of Rhode Island. He's also the chairman and co-founder of the Trusted Climate Data Initiative, an organization that brings together climate data to make it accessible for all. As an entrepreneur and internet pioneer, Dan has founded multiple organizations with a focus on information and communication technology. You can learn more about Dan's biography in our show notes. You can read about him in my book, and I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Dan Harple. Dan Harple, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Thank you, Tisha. Glad to be here. So we had such a nice conversation when I interviewed you for the book. And one thing that really stuck with me was when you spoke about how you see technology and transparency as key elements to building trust from the public, from stakeholders and policymakers in the decarbonization of the oil and gas industry. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to get your latest thoughts about that. How do you see tech innovations enhancing transparency and and therefore trust? Sure. I think with the advent of machine learning and AI and the ability to, at a very granular level, track data and then essentially use cryptography to take a snapshot of that data and drop it to a blockchain means that you can prove that the data is what it is. As we've moved into the, I'd say, Internet 3.0 or the Web 3.0 era, you know, we've gone through Web Web 1.0, Web 2.0, now now Web 3.0. The issue of can you trust what's on the Internet has become more and more important. Our company was founded on the ability to place trust in data by building context. And you can do that now. You couldn't do that a few years ago. You couldn't do that 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And what we decided to do is focus this on perhaps one of the most important issues of our time, which is helping the planet decarbonize. And when we looked at this, we looked at which industries actually have a high degree of carbon output in GHG, and the energy sector was one, right? Uh, Probably the top. And we looked at what was happening in the industry. In some sense, the oil and gas industry, it was basically guilty until proven innocent. Mm -hmm. And We thought that, okay, that's not fair because energy security requires an energy transition. Making a pariah out of the industry that actually can bridge us to where we need to go, I thought was was a poor choice. So deploying our technology to create transparency for the energy transition, I think, is one of the most important things you can do uh, with a company. I love what you said about providing context for data and, and of course, the name of your firm being Context Labs, the name of one of your firms. In addition to that component, one of the things that really struck me when we spoke before was about how, in addition to, to providing context for the information people have, we're also making connections. So connections that build momentum, that build trust 
And I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about how you see the interconnected nature of the business of decarbonization and maybe how you see that as helping or even hurting this effort to build transparency and therefore trust. The first thing to think about is what is context? And prior to what we're doing in our company, there really wasn't context around data. And to build context, context creates meaning. So you understand the data more. And, you know, we talk about the who, the what, the when, and the where of data. That's context. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to track data. And if we think about interconnectivity, you think about a supply chain. And clearly, there's an energy supply chain, upstream, midstream, downstream, utilities, petrochem, et cetera. That interconnected nature is what we do with data. So if we think about the energy supply chain, there's also a data supply chain. And that data should be attached to the GHG emissions factors that not factors, well, factors and measurements that go along with it. So the idea that you can measure, monitor, and mitigate this is really important. So the way, the way to think about it is maybe the digital twinning of data, where, for example, today, sort of existing certificates that have gotten at scale are really not digital twins. They're just pieces of paper that I kind of call clipboard certificates. Mm -hmm. Our company is primarily and really at its core empirical scientists and engineers and data scientists and what you can measure, you can manage. What you typically gain out of some type of clipboard assessment to us isn't really relevant. So the way to think about this whole thing is really creating a digital twin of the emissions through its supply chain. And that's the interconnectedness. You know, like for us, you know, we've announced some industry first, i.e. Uh, an end-to-end -end GHG emissions profile from Katera to Williams to Dominion. And, and this is uh, increasingly happening. So that's the way I would think about that, uh, Tisha. That's really a way to make it real. And I'm hoping you'll talk a little bit more about that. So we have this, this context around data. We have the interconnected nature of both the supply chain and then its associated data and the data supply chain. And I was introduced to you by um, Chad Zamarin at Williams, who has been on the podcast as well. So mm -hmm. I know that they have a lot of confidence in the, the work they've embarked upon with you. Can you make it real for us and describe this end-to-end partnership that you have to create this kind of digital twin around emissions data? Sure, sure. Maybe the, the best way to do it is to compare it to what exists. And there are some other platforms that have not been out there, Project Canary, MIQ, et cetera. Those aren't competitors to us. I mean, we're a, a data company. Those are outcomes that you get with data. And, and I feel the state of the industry certificates have been made that are really not based on data. They're based on EPA emissions factors which are plus or minus 500%. That's not reliable and you can't trust that. So what we've done is literally build a platform that can interface to all sensor devices, all SCADA devices, can interface to SEMS cameras, you name it, satellites, drones, et cetera. And what we've done is build a data platform that can support OGMP 2.0 level five. That's really different. That's a quantified emissions profile it goes end to end. And, and that's what's really different about this. And this ties back to your question on interconnectivity, mm -hmm. because the only way to do this is with customers at scale. My prior experience in companies I've had before has been making at scale standards. And standards happen not from 
someone up on high who sort of proclaims that thou shalt do this, standards happen because large companies deploy something that's better. And I think that's what Williams is doing here. And it ties into our connectivity theory, which we call the super node. You know, everything's connected in AI graph analytics. There are nodes and edges and really large nodes are called super nodes. So our key customers are super nodes. And if you think about this, you know, in the midstream, Williams is one. It connects to upstream super nodes and downstream super nodes. Mm -hmm. What you can do from a penetration point of view as a company is if you have those customers adopt your technology, you will then provide the end-to-end certification that Williams is, is bringing forward. I'm so glad that I asked a question that made you say supernode and edges because that was just one of the parts of our earlier conversation I enjoyed so much and wanted the, the world to get to hear. So I'm just going to build off of that a, a tiny bit and just give you a chance to expand a little bit because in this, when I imagine like the Williams, Kutera, those two supernodes connecting among an edge, but then also how that creates positive peer pressure for other organizations to really increase the quality of their emissions, data management, and transparency, never mind actually reducing emissions, which is implied in all of this work. How do you yeah. see, like, like, either practically or metaphorically, how do you see progress? continuing from a big announcement like the one you made with Williams and um, Kotera? One of the things that, that Williams has driven is not just the technical and engineering aspects of this, the ability that our platforms produce dashboards that are used by uh, Williams across their network of all 400 facilities. And that allows them to, what we say is measure, monitor, and mitigate Mm-hmm. So you can get early detection of leaks and things like that. You know, you can then you can fix them faster, right? But one of the things that Chad Zamorin was really influential with our company was is adding a, a fourth layer called monetization. Mm-hmm. And that monetization is the certificate. And what the market is telling us is that these digitally quantified blockchain-enabled certificates that are actually verified by a big four, i.e., one of our strategic partners and investors, KPMG literally creates value. And those certificates are worth worth a lot in terms of positioning for a net zero status. In some ways, what it's done is it, it it's made, we like to say making decarbonization a profit center. Mm-hmm. So there are companies that may want to do the right thing anyway, i.e. Williams, uh, Katera, and EQT. But at the same time, if you have a, a deep financial incentive that allows them to get to net zero and literally have the platform pay for itself, that's a real big win. And that's what we're seeing actually with the OGMP 2.0 level five search that we've been, essentially they're an outcome of our data fabric that we call uh, immutably. And on top of that, there are two elements of it. There's the decarbonization as a service, which does the measure, monitor, mitigate part. And then the monetization goes into a repository called ClearPath. So if you think about this, the decarbonization as a service, the DAS, is some set in some ways a carbon credit factory, right? Produces the highest quality, deeply digital, high integrity certificates. That output goes into a repository, which is what's becoming now is the largest at scale, highest quality bucket, so to speak, repository of, of certs and carbon credits. That allows companies then to monetize that with market makers. So, you know, it's adding in that monetization layer and plugging that into what currently with Williams is their sequent trading organization has been really important for the scale up of this. 
Oh, it's so important and so interesting. And one of the things that we're learning across the board is that for something to go from aspirational to actual, to become real, it's going to have to be financially sustainable and financially attractive. So that's interesting and not surprising that that Chad um, came up with that. Uh, He's been, I think, really thoughtful about how to make sure this work can be, will be enduring. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it shows what a strong strategic partnership does, you know, because Mm -hmm. by working with Williams, it raised the bar for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we already knew that we could represent end-to-end emissions profiles that would be of the highest integrity, of the highest order, verified by a big four. And it goes back to what I said at the beginning, this industry has been guilty until proven innocent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so having the data that drills right down to actually the asset level, not some basin level thing, not mm-hmm. some plus or minus EPA emissions factor of 500%, this is what enables trust to be built into the decarbonization story for everybody, not just oil and gas. So interesting. So I want to just pivot with a couple of questions about, about you, Dan, because you're a well-known entrepreneur in your field. You've founded multiple organizations and you've worked through these crazy last few years of the pandemic and the focus on decarbonization. How has your leadership style evolved and what what have you learned that could be useful to other leaders who are our listeners? You evolve over time, right? So the technology that we used at scale for the pandemic, like in Zoom, like we're using now, my first company invented that. We had the early patents on that. We shipped the first voiceover IP, the first video servers back during the Netscape days, et cetera. And so I was literally like the poster child for virtual communications. You know, I had a patent on the first shared whiteboard, as an example, which is now in everybody's Zoom bar. Mm-hmm. What I learned in this, though, was we went totally virtual and there's something something gained, but something lost, right? So we were able to actually stay connected. But I feel increasingly now that the ability to come back together matters. So what we learned in our company is that we feel like we're really effective. You can work at home. You can kind of do whatever you want you know, make the meetings, but the things that happen when you're just together in in person don't happen. One of our board members is a kind of a famous author named Tom Peters. He wrote the largest selling business book ever called In Search of Excellence. One of his things early on was sort of management by walking around, you know, getting to know people. And that sort of proverbial water cooler chat doesn't happen on Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things we've learned is we need to migrate back And our company is in three locations. It's in Houston, it's in Cambridge, Mass, adjacent to MIT, and it's in Amsterdam. What we've seen is the Houston organization is much more ready to go back. In some sense, everybody's gone back to work in Texas. Similarly, in Amsterdam and the Netherlands. But Cambridge, Mass is kind of like the most progressively liberal city in the United States, even more so than Berkeley, California. So we're seeing sort of like a a cultural Mm -hmm. schism here. Another thing we learned was I've kind of had an age old edict of, you know, how you create culture and it's evolved over the years. And I I call it everyone is sort of required to bring a ball. It's like a sports Mm -hmm. analogy. You know, when you come to work, bring a ball. And if you don't bring a ball, you're required B to kick a ball. So we collaborate. And the part C is we never kick each other. We use that rubric for how we engage and create culture. And everybody's encouraged to bring the ball or kick it. And that means in some sense, there's a everyone's encouraged. It's okay to actually make a mistake. 
I'd rather have people bringing up ideas that don't survive the kicking of the ball mm-hmm. than somebody who doesn't bring up any ideas. And what it does is it also creates a culture of doers. And I think doers are much more important to change our economy and, and drive the energy transition than critics. It's kind of a, a bias towards action, which we've built. And this goes into some of Tom Peters' latest stuff too. You know, he's been quite famous in, in what he's done with In Search of Excellence. You know, he's got a recent book, uh, it's called Tom Peters' Compact Guide to Excellence. And it, it's literally, it's amazing. He's got another book called Excellence Now, Extreme Humanism. And it's about these things. It's about how people should engage together to actually make the world a better place and invoke change. So, you know, what we tried to do is bring in experts like that as well, dovetail that into the learnings that we've had over the years. I mean, I'm this is my sixth company. I'm, I'm 63 years old, sort of seen a lot. The final thing is you have to be flexible, you know, as we bring people back to the workforce. I don't think edicts work with anybody and you've got to be flexible and mindful of everybody's personal situation. Mm, Thank you for sharing all that. And we'll put the Tom Peters books in the show notes for follow-up. Last question for you, Dan, what are you most optimistic about? That's quite the question. Okay. So (laughs) I'm most optimistic about young people. Okay. Mm. You know, when people ask me, what's my job and my job isn't the company. My job is to, to grow people into being leaders and change agents, you know, and what I've seen here as, as new people, younger generation comes into the company, I'm seeing a passion that exists that if you read the paper every day, you may tend to get sort of negative on what's happening. I'm super positive on what's happening because I see a culture arising here that are the younger generation that really won't accept bad outcomes. You know, they're working. We've hardly had to recruit at all for our company. Almost everybody's over the transom because people want to work for a company that's got a purpose and a vision. And I, I think if, you know, you just, like if you're an internet company that sells ads, I don't think anybody wants to work there anymore. I mean, it's it's not helping the world. I'm most optimistic about the ability that things will change and get better. And, you know, technology is, is just a tool. And once again, like in my experience with technology, the way you invoke change is you essentially join at the hip great technology with great super node companies, and then de facto standards will emerge that will, in this example, accelerate the energy transition. Mm. So much to look forward to. I also am optimistic about the future and the people that are coming up across our industry. So Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Thank you, Tisha. Always enjoy talking to you. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Dan for joining me. I always love talking about nodes and edges with Dan because I love thinking of each of us as a node who's building the momentum for positive change in the energy transition and in the world. I hope that you enjoyed learning a little bit about that as well. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate and review us and pass this podcast on to three of your colleagues. If you'd like to know more about my book, you can check out realdecarbonization.com. If you want to know more about our work at Adamant Team, visit energythinks.com. I want to thank my colleague, Adon Rubio, who does all the work that makes this podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.